In a world shaped by ancient civilizations and remarkable trade networks, a wondrous journey awaits. Footprints presents Connected, a gripping 10-episode series that takes you into the lives of ordinary people whose destinies intertwine with the ancient Silk Road and the Belt and Road Initiative. Following the modern initiative that connects several continents via land and maritime networks, we uncover captivating stories along the way and witness how it bridges different cultures and peoples throughout time. Brace yourself for an enthralling experience with Connected, arriving on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today and join us on this extraordinary journey through time and space. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, aquatic products from Xinjiang Autonomous Region has grabbed people's attention these days. Will seafood from inland aquatic farms occupy a bigger spot in the market as radioactive wastewater from Japan's Fukushima nuclear power plant threatens the fishing industry in the Pacific region? An old-school text-based simulation game has struck a nerve with many PhD students as it vividly portrays the trials and challenges on the quest for a doctoral degree. What are the traits you need to survive uh, the many years of PhD studies? You can share your perspectives about Roundtable and the issues we discuss. Send us an email at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Now on Roundtable, grass, carp and crabs from Xinjiang Autonomous Region have all China internet users talking. For this discussion, I'm joined by Xing Yu and Joshua Cotterell. And we begin by a little uh, update on what's going on, why people are talking about uh, seafood from Xinjiang. Is that even true? Is that even real? Well, when you talk about Xinjiang, you might instantly think of, you know, beautiful landscape, vast prairies, fruits and mutton. And the word Xinjiang has nothing to do with seafood, maybe. But now, guess what? Xinjiang food might be the next symbol. Or at least for now, it's really on trend. So recently, Xinjiang aquatic products have seen a bountiful harvest from shrimp, crabs, salmon, and grass carp. These aquatic products produced in Xinjiang are making their way onto consumers' dining tables nationwide. And some of these products are also sold in foreign markets. According to a report from China News, in Boston Lake alone, um, it's one of the largest inland freshwater lakes in China, a harvest of more than 4,000 metric tons of aquatic food, um, such as grass harp and crabs, is expected this year. And in Nilka County, the production of rainbow trout, it's a type of salmon, um, is expected to reach 6,000 metric tons this year and nearly double that of last year, according to Xinjiang Tianyun Organic Agriculture Company. So, you know, in, on Chinese social media, the topic related to inland seafood on quotation marks um, in Chinese is Lu Haixian, instantly um, rose to popularity. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why it's gaining attention is the juxtaposition uh, of the words here. I mean, I think it makes sense both in Chinese and in other languages as well. I think the English people might say um, inland seafood. Uh, the French might call it uh, 
Fruit de Mer. Wow. <laughs> Haitian, so Haitian by its name, uh, we assume that it's, it's from the sea or the ocean, but yeah. now you put the word inland or uh, continent here and people might think, well, where, where does this come from? So, but in fact, this is pretty much true that uh, about 77% of the global production of farmed rainbow trout was from freshwater systems, mm. according to Seafish Org. And this data uh, was from... 2018, it might be a little uh, outdated, but it still serves the purpose of showing you that freshwater breeding is technically viable. So it is possible to breed and produce and farm uh, seafood and uh, in an inland and freshwater environment. That's the case. Mm-hmm. And Josh, I know that in fact in Europe, a lot of the aquatic systems, aquatic, aquatic farming is located in the Mediterranean like Italy, Spain, France. Uh, I wonder in your country, in the UK, it is a big uh, market uh, for seafood and also a big output source for a seafood market. Do people in your country really care that much about where they come from uh, when, when they shop for seafood? And do they have a preference? I think that British people definitely care about where their seafood comes from. And m- maybe one of the reasons for this is because of how much seafood we eat. Um, and as as we all know, the, the stereotypical dish, fish and chips, um, that British people eat, it's no joke. Um, honestly, we really do. There's, I've I found that um, UK cons- a, a results of a survey um, uh, of MPs by a popular survey found that uh, 83% of them said that fish and chips has the best claim to be the UK's national dish and also they found that there are 10,500 fish and chip shops something around this number across the country um serving up 167 million fish and chip meals every year now back to your question though is there a preference or is there some is there a, a big desire to know where it comes from i think there is in the united kingdom i found one survey carried out on behalf of the marine stewardship council the msc and they showed that over half of British seafood consumers are willing to pay more for certified sustainable seafood. And over three quarters of respondents to the survey agreed that um, shoppers should consume seafood from sustainable sources. So it's more about sustainability where, uh, in answer to that question that you asked me. So it's more about sustainability rather than the location where it's produced, where yeah. it's farmed. And uh, so that would make sense. And well, when it comes to sustainability, of course, we are exploring methods to make the uh, aquatic farms sustainable here, uh, especially in Xinjiang. We know it's a remote region and also landlocked region in China. Mm-hmm. And as such, the environment or the ecolo- ecosystem might be uh, vulnerable in certain parts of the region. And as such, some of the technologies being applied in aquatic farming is really making use of land otherwise not very useful to begin with. And we're talking about using certain sailing alkaline land for the use of raising seafood. Yeah, definitely. Um, Transforming saline alkaline water into this artificial seawater is one of the major ways for inland regions to cultivate aquatic products. And also, like you said, technology is really playing an increasingly important role um, in terms of aquaculture. In Xinjiang, I 
um, spotted this example of adopting this semi-closed recirculating aquaculture system. Um, it sounds a bit complex, but it's it's actually a type of fish farming system that aims to optimize water usage and maintain water quality by recirculating and treating the water within the system. So like I mentioned in this Xinjiang Tianyun Organic Agriculture uh, Company, because of thanks to this type of um, recirculating aquaculture system, they're able to reduce the growth cycle of commercial fish from 36 months to 26 months and also increase the survival rates by 3%. Um, they've also adopted this eco-friendly net cages. So different from traditional net cages, these new type of cages possess high resistance to wind and waves and are also environmentally friendly. They can um, help address the problems um, such as the large amount of waste produced or discharged into the water, you know, by adopting these kind of um, pollution collection device, they can collect this fish excrement and residues, you know, to maintain a clean and healthy river. So in that way, I can really see that um, technology is really playing a part um, in terms of creating a more sustainable and environmentally friendly um, aquaculture system. Sounds really fancy. Um, Josh, where you come from in the UK, you talk about fish and chips. And also, I know that uh, people have an act for the Atlantic salmon. I mean, uh, is that mm. the type of fish people mm. using in the fish and fries? Or do you think the British people would uh, fancy something from Xinjiang just because it's uh, organic and sustainable uh, in the way it's produced? Well, it, well, you're quite right that when it comes to aquaculture, salmon it's dominated by salmon farming and a lot of the inland seafood as you call it when i read about this i immediately just thought of um aquaculture and fish farming and i think about salmon also mussel production and trout uh, are huge but salmon just dominates this market in the united kingdom um but that's not where fish and chips come from fish and chips is usually done with with cod or haddock uh, these two types of fish now, your, your question about, did you say, what, would people be interested in eating fish from Xinjiang right, um, right. in the UK, right? I, I think so. I think that they would be. But like any product, I think that, and you've got to remember, my country is an importer nation. It really is, especially when it comes to things like food as well. So right. when it comes to things like salmon, people like to see the word Scottish or like the adjective, <laughs> I guess, Scottish in front of it. Um Scottish Atlantic <laughs> salmon, right? And I mean, if Xinjiang can create a name for itself and become, <sighs> get a reputation for producing really high quality produce and a particular type of produce, I think it can do. But these things take time, actually. I think often it has to have like a historic or um, it has to have, it has to sustain this reputation as a producer of really high quality produce for for quite a while before it's going to get a name for itself i think so but yeah i mean it's new it's interesting um so maybe that'll give it some sort of market but i think it might take a while yeah even for chinese consumers um i think what they are concerned about the most right now is about how this kind of freshwater fish really tastes. Um, does it taste better than marine fish? Like salmon, um, you've mentioned uh, Atlantic salmon. So for those people who are used to consuming Atlantic salmon, it might not be that kind of, 
you know, tasty probably for them to taste like salmon from fresh water. I think it really depends on、uh, the condition in which、uh, salmon or other types of fish is being farmed. Really,、mm. and the reason why Xinjiang comes into play is that、uh, it is located in northwest China and is not particularly in the tropical region.、Yeah. So the temperature can be a little low, and then therefore fitting for certain cold water fish to survive. And also, you got.、Uh, Uh, snow melt coming from、yeah. the Tianshan Mountain, and such the the is much easier to control the temperature of the water、mm. to a、uh, well friendly degree、um, for the fish to thrive. So at such,、uh, we are talking about no、oh, seafood from Xinjiang, and I think that's <laughs> that's the reason. And as for the taste and texture, I I, I well by my、uh, guess, I think there's gonna be some difference,、mm, some variation.、Yeah. But、uh, then again, it's、uh, it's a novelty. It's something that's、uh, really Uh, increasing in、uh, output and also in is being sold uh, to uh, provinces and regions across China.、Mm -hmm. And just now, as we are talking about this, people are getting to know the brand, and perhaps given、uh, a few years and、uh, given the continuous hard work by、um, the brand builders and also the farmers、uh, who are on the front line,、uh, really,、uh, I see a I see a chance of. Rainbow trout coming from Xinjiang, making a name,、mm. especially in the wake of nuclear wastewater being、yeah. dumped into the Pacific region. I think that would pose a threat to the fishing industry、uh, in the coastal regions、uh, surrounding the Pacific. Definitely,、um, after the release of nuclear contaminated wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant, I think nationwide we have increasing amount of concerns and anxiety over seafood security. Um, and um, on August twenty fourth, the date Japan started dumping nuclear contaminated water. On the same day, the Chinese government also suspended imports of Japanese seafood. So I can see that to some extent, the Xinjiang seafood can really、um, fill the gap left by the exit of Japanese seafood from the Chinese market.、Mm -hmm. And Josh, what is an image in your mind of the aquatic farms? And when when we talk about Uh, inland seafood and and how do you imagine they are being raised and and kept? Well, my image of them, I guess, is is based on the ones that I've seen in my own country,、uh -huh. um, and so I I see these sort of quite rigid structures、um, and these sort of repetitive circular patterns、uh -huh. of these fish farms that、um, I mean they're basically. Factories in the water, right? They're basically livestock factories in the water,、um, and so yeah, I, I, I imagine rivers and big circles filled with fish.、Um, I guess that I, I think that the idea is that they can be quite positive. I have quite a positive image of them. I think that at least they're marketed、uh, towards this idea that they stop overfishing.、Um, I'm not sure if that's always true. I, I think that it, we have to be very careful when we think about this as well, because it can lead to many things like invasive species, and、um, it can cause damage to local to the local gene pool as well. If it's overfished in that area, overfishing is a big issue in the ocean, and it can also be an issue in freshwater inland as well. So.、Um, Yeah, this is my initial image of it. Does that answer your question? My, yes, my it does. Yes, it does.、Okay. You, you have an image of quite the, the facilities involved in in aquatic、uh, fish farming, and、uh, but it 
turns out that there's much more to it. I mean, it's certainly challenging to uh, raise fish in an environment that's not yeah. natural for them, of course. And so, as such, there are technologies involved. Xing, you just mentioned a bit earlier, and uh, it turns out that there are also technologies used to help uh, fish that are otherwise marine or based or sea-based to adapt to the environment. And certain technologies, for instance, the use of uh, freshwater conversion tank, mm. uh, where the water in the tank is adjusted to a salinity level close to the seawater so that young fish or fish larvae can uh, really get used to the environment. And as they grow older, they'll be uh, relocated and to a new environment as the water salinity is further diluted with fresh water and when they're old enough they'll be moved to a different tank where there is entirely fresh water and that's how the trick is done. For instance, are there robotics involved here? I mean, we are talking about keeping fish in enclosed environment and such the quality of their environment really matters if they were to survive and thrive and grow uh, to have the taste that we favor uh, in the consumer market. All right. Um, so robotic machines are adopted in these aquatic um, fishing farms to clean, you know, fish droppings and leftover bait and silt from the riverbed. So this kind of robot is equipped with a sonar imaging system and optical cameras, uh, and it is able to recognize um, this terrain underwater, and uh, it can ensure the safe navigation and accurate identification and cleaning of the pollutants. So in that way, we can somehow ensure the, the water is clean, and at the same time, it can be more sustainable in a way, I think, also for the living environment for the the fish in the tank. Mm. And you mentioned the technology being used to reduce the period of time that fish will have to grow uh, from about a year to 240-something days and <laughs> so they can mature and uh, enter the consumer market. So that's uh, a way to uh, boost the output a bit. Yeah. And we're talking about a specific region in, in China, in the Xinjiang Autonomous Region. It is a vast territory. It's about one-sixth of China's entire national territory, um, but it's scarcely populated. And also the environment isn't very friendly uh, in every part of the region as such. So I wonder whether aquatic farming would present an opportunity for the locals in the sense that they have a means to make a living. And mm. uh, what, what are the chances being brought to the local farmers? Definitely. Um, aquaculture, I think, is now becoming one of the major industries in Xinjiang um, that supports rural revitalization and also promote the income um, increase of farmers. So it really... Uh, creates new economic opportunities uh, in the region, also provide more jobs. So the rainbow trout business in Xinjiang, like I mentioned, has provided jobs for over 100 local farmers. Um, and also the average monthly severage for breeding and processing jobs reached um, over $900 last year. So that's um, a huge benefit for the locals as well. Mm -hmm. And we're not only talking about uh, Xinjiang Autonomous Region when we 
discuss uh, inland seafood farming. In fact, in across China, there are different parts of the country that are pursuing uh, this uh, way of production. For instance, in the suburb of Beijing, uh, quite close to the Miying Reservoir, mm-hmm. one of the biggest in the region yeah. that provides water to to the city, yeah. um, there are farmers uh, doing uh, aquatic farming as well, mm. and uh, rainbow trout is what they do, and it's also quite technology intensive and labor intensive in the sense that, well, it's not you throw in the fish larvae and uh, wait for them to grow up and sell them, and that's not just only the case. Uh, the farmers, in fact, will have to do more sophisticated uh, moves, for instance, like artificial semination. Mm. So as such, I think this is an industry that provides farmers a way to acquire and uh, master certain skills, marketable skills that they can uh, somehow make a living with. Josh, what do you think this way of aquatic farming can do to people's livelihood? In I mean, not only purely in the sense of getting some extra income. We know that aquatic farming uh, generates more income, in fact, above average income in Xinjiang Autonomous Region, that's for sure. But I'm talking about, you know, something that requires certain input, certain education background. What do you see going forward? Do you think because of this industry and because of the demand on who he who practices this, uh, this trade, this will somehow affect the overall level of educational living standards of people who are, who are engaged in this business? Meaning, do they have to pursue uh, further studies? Do they have to continue learning? I don't think that they do any more than anybody else working in any other kind of agricultural industry. I think that things like artificial intelligence um, and new technologies have have found their way into every industry. And we, we know that agriculture in particular has been deeply affected, or we can see the real results of AI in agriculture and affected produce happening before our eyes uh, right now. And I guess that inland um, aquaculture, fish farming or seafood farming or whatever it is, is no different at all. Whether that means that the industry itself requires a different kind of uh, employee or requires one to have higher qualifications, I'm not sure. I mean, it would be interesting to look into the future and see what those qualifications would be. And I know that in the United Kingdom that we have farmers colleges and we do have a lot of marine biology courses and things like this because the UK is is a really skinny island, right? And so people are always next to the ocean and there just seems to be a massive investment in the sea just on a day-to-day basis and also academically. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of emphasis on marine biology, protecting the coastline, um, sustainable farming, sustainable fish farming, um, and things like this. So I don't think things are going to change that much, uh, to be honest. I, I, I guess that um, it, it will be it will be no different to any other kind of agriculture. I, I don't think. You do point a way for us to examine this issue, whether or not this industry will have an impact on the quality of life or the level of education on the part of he who practices in this industry. And that is what is in the future for 
this industry, uh, aquatic farming inland. And uh, there are some challenges going forward if this industry were to expand, for instance, uh, in certain areas uh, where there are still quite a number of small-scale, family-based fish farms. Uh, they could this The challenge for them would be that maybe for lack of funding or any other means, they do not seek alternative input in terms of the genetics of the fish. So it's inbreeding and continuously as such. Uh, over the process of a few decades, the fish products coming out of the tanks or, or farms might uh, deteriorate, and, and that would be a problem uh, going forward if they were to build a brand for inland fish farming. Uh, another challenge or obstacle that uh, a lot of the industry insiders will have to jump over is the source of fish larvae in, in, in Xinjiang, in some mm -hmm. parts of the country. In fact, uh, a lot of them will have to import fish larvae from outside of the country. There's talk about importing fish larvae from Hainan, and yeah. that's for sure, but there still is a significant amount of import from overseas and such, and there's a, a rather strong dependence on, on imports. So if the industry were to really be sustainable in its own way, commercially, mm. it'll have to look for other input of fish larvae or, or other production material going forward. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up in the second half of the show, a simulation game captures the harsh side in the lives of PhD students. Is the doctoral degree for everybody? How can you best prepare for and survive the challenges? Stay with Roundtable for more fun discussions.